By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam Young Golf. So I'm a... I think I'm a little a little excited for today's episode. We've been mentioning Aimpoint on and off, or at least I have, because I'm an Aimpoint user for as long as the show has been around. And I think there's a lot of I don't know, misinformation is the right word. It's probably the right word, actually. Is it, it probably okay. is the Mark, right word. Mark's yeah. jumping in. <laughs> okay. Mark's chomping at the bit here. And I'm interested to finally talk to Mark. I've never spoken to him. I've been a happy Aimpoint user for years. I kind of argue on people on Twitter about Aimpoint. I've been dying on your hill. <laughs> but we figure we get Mark on and learn about what Aimpoint actually is and let people kind of decide for themselves. I found it to be very helpful. But yeah, Mark, thanks for thanks for joining the sweet spot. Yeah, you're welcome. It's always nice to come on and be able to explain some things in my own words rather than reading a lot of the stuff I read out there that a lot of it's just wrong, inaccurate or just wrong. Yeah, I think I'm pretty active on Twitter. And I think there's a lot of gotcha stuff on Twitter where people take a, and it's not just Aimpoint, it's a lot of things where someone takes a video clip or whatever, and they take it out of context, and then it goes viral. And people start drawing conclusions that aren't actually true in golf and elsewhere, let's yeah. be honest. So why don't we, before we get into all the, I don't know why this has become controversial. It's so silly to me what becomes controversial in golf. But why don't you tell us the story of Aimpoint, like what it is, how you first started it, just give people an explanation of, of where this actually came from. Yeah, Aimpoint started 20 years ago this year. And it was really me just playing a lot of golf and not being able to read greens well. And nobody could tell me why. And I, I even went out and looked for books on the subjects and articles, and there was next to nothing. You know, it was all very basic. Look for highs and lows and figure it out. You know, there was nothing really specific about how do you get a, a correct, accurate read other than using your experience. And in my mind, that just wasn't good enough because I was already mid-30s and didn't have time to get all that experience and it wasn't working anyway. So just, you know, originally as a hobby, I, I wrote some software that would figure out on a computer generated, well, not a computer generated green, but we take actual green scans, run a ball across it and just say, how much does the ball break? And then that turned into the line of the golf channel for that was on for six years. 
And that turned into several different versions of the Aimpoint teaching method, which is now currently Aimpoint Express. It's probably version four. There was three other versions of Aimpoint before that, and which I think a lot of people don't know. Well, that's when I've talked to some golfers who've been tournament players for a long time. I've spoken to some people who like use the original Aimpoint or been or, or around people using it, and that's kind of where they got their perception of it because it was far more complicated back then. What was the process of what was like the version 1.0 like? Well, 1.0 was a result of looking at computer simulations. And if you take a green, and the first green I ever did was 17th Sawgrass. So put a pin position down and you solve every single putt to that one pin position. So you go on, let's say a one foot grid or a three foot grid, figure out the break for every single putt on the green to that pin and then map it. And the cool thing is it gives you some very cool geometrical patterns. And then I came up with a, a green ring system based on that called Zero Lines, not to be confused with Zero Break Lines, a totally different thing with a very similar name. But it was something that it's really cool, but it's really hard to understand. It's like PhD green reading. And so what happened with Aimpoint is as cool as that was, and people who learned it love it, they still love it, but it took a long time to get good at. And if you got it wrong, you could get it very wrong. There were some, some mistakes were big mistakes, not little mistakes. And I still love it. I still use concepts of it. And some of the players out there still use it. But it was too hard for the average person for sure. And then that turned into the, the aim chart, which simplified it down to kind of a 20-foot circle around the hole. And, and that worked really well, but it was still too complicated for a lot of people. And then eventually we ended up with Express Read, which is, you know, anybody can do the Express Read. It was designed for seven and eight-year-olds. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of the confusion lies is I value simplicity in golf, obviously. that That's what we try and do on this show. And I learned Aimpoint Express, I think it was five years ago, from an instructor named John Hobbins. He, he gave a seminar to my friend, Nick Banks, who is a teacher, and myself. And I was actually writing an article on Practical Golf about it. And to be fully honest with you, Mark, <laughs> I went into that seminar thinking, this is total BS. I'm not going yeah. to like this. <laughs> I assumed it was going to be too complicated. And my goal was to find things in golf that were not complicated. So I'm like, this just looks too cumbersome. What I had seen on TV, people using it, I'm like, I'm not going to like this. And I won't go into what exactly was taught to me. You can disclose what you'd like. But I remember there was a moment where I think it was maybe like an hour into it where I finally started getting the slope right and I hit a few putts and they went in the hole and I was like, whoa, this is like voodoo magic. Yeah. And that didn't mean that I immediately, it took me a good, I would say six months to a year to really trust it and not use my eyes anymore. But at least I'll just disclose my bias in the beginning here. I've never spoken to Mark before. I'd said this on the tour tempo episode. I have no financial relationship with Mark. It's just something I've come across that I really like has helped my game a lot. I used to be a horrible putter and now I'd say I'm a pretty damn good putter. And I think aim points, one of the ways that has simplified things for me. So what do you tell people who like a lot of the questions we get from people is like, how does it work? How do I learn it? Like, what's the best way you can explain Aimpoint Express to a complete novice or someone who doesn't know what it is? The simple version of just explaining is you're simply finding how much side slope there is in a putt. You know, where you find it is kind of the details of the system and where specifically you're getting the number because most putts have different numbers through them. But you're really just standing under on your the path of your putt, across the path of your putt, saying how much side tilt, because that's the primary driver of break, is how much the more side tilt there is, the more the ball is going to break. No big surprise there. 
And it turns out people are very, very good at feeling slope. Anybody can go down to a half a percent. Uh, I've never taught anybody in 10 years of Express that couldn't get down to a half a percent very quickly. So human beings are very, very good at detecting slope. And all we're doing is associating a certain feeling with a number. A one is a 1% slope. So it actually does match a measured amount of slope. It's not an arbitrary number. A one is 1%. And you're just figuring out how much is in it. And then it just happens to be the, the miracle of mathematics is that when you hold up the same number of fingers as a slope, it matches how much your ball breaks on a golf green. That was the thing that's the strangest thing to me is like, yeah. how is it just like luck that it corresponded to like the width of a finger? 100% luck. <laughs> it's 100%, 100% luck. And that's what that's what freaks me out when we first started testing it is it kept, I kept getting the right read and I was saying to myself, but that makes no sense. Why does two fingers at 10 feet match what the aim chart said at 10 feet, which is mathematically derived? It made no sense to me. And it just turns out, luckily, you know, when you hold up the same number of fingers as the percent of side slope, you're creating a launch angle and that launch angle matches the math, the math of a ball breaking. So the only thing you have to get, you've got to, you know, the only thing is adjusting for green speed, which is not that hard either, more speed or less speed, but a two is a two. And if you hold up two fingers with roughly the right amount of bend, you're going to get a read accurate to one or two inches. Adam, have you ever tried aim point? I've watched, I've watched it being taught to people. As I said, I used to work with Preston Combs, and so he's a big advocate of it. He's a big putting specialist and loves Aimpoint. And yeah, I know that lots of his pupils were raving about it. So I never did it myself, but I'm an advocate of it. If people come to me and they say they're poor at reading the greens, then yeah, I send them to Aimpoint or send them in Preston's way. So what would you say is a typical, let's just clear something up for someone when we say percentage of slope. There are now apps on the phone or you could take a digital level just to identify if you went on a green and you got a digital level and it said 1% slope, 2% slope, that's what you're referring to, right? So people can like tangibly experiment with this. A two, if you see somebody on TV holding up two fingers, they have decided that the slope to use for that putt is 2%. And you can take a digital level, put it on percentage and and measure that. And the break will match what the level says. That's the cool thing about it is it's not, it seems like voodoo in the first couple of years we were out with it, people thought I was insane because it just doesn't seem like the fingers should match the physics of a ball breaking, but it just does. <laughs> you know, the, the reality is, is it just does. It's very accurate. And it's very easy to do. I'm remembering from the, what percentage, most putts on most courses, like the majority of them are going to be under 2% or 3%. Is that fair? Yeah, most 90%, 90 plus percent will be one, two or three. You know, the USGA guideline for a pin position is 3% or less. So typically around a pin, you're getting lots of ones and twos, some threes. You can get higher, but full 90% of every putt you ever hit is going to be one, two, or three. You're committing to, you're essentially measuring like gravity almost, like you're feeling it with your feet. And do you have users? I think this is the, one of the big questions we got on Twitter and people get confused about. I don't use my eyes to evaluate side slope anymore. I might use it for down and up slope just to get an idea. If I stand behind a putt, I can see, okay, this is very downhill. This is more downhill than it seemed. But when I learned aim point from John Hobbins, I mean, his essential thing with me was you've got to stop confusing your eyes with your feet now because your eyes can lie to you and you're going to have to trust one of these things versus both. And and to be honest, the thing that I get confused about and others possibly is that I see tour players on TV that look like they're using both. They look like they're using their eyes and they look like they're using their feet or yeah. their caddy. What is your preference? Is that someone like me who just like 
says, forget it. I'm not oh, using yeah. my eyes anymore. I'm just going to trust my feet. Yeah. My preference is definitely to stop using your eyes. I mean, you can't turn your eyes off, but you have to be willing to override what you see. The issue with a lot of tour players and a lot of ones that I've taught, they grew up their whole life looking at a putt. And so now you're adding aim points and they're going, okay, well, I'm getting a really accurate number, but they have a very hard time not doing their old process of still looking anyway. I'm not a fan of it at all because a lot of times what you feel and what you see are very, very different. And in my experience, your feel is pretty much always correct. And so you might walk up to a button and say, well, it looks kind of flat. And then you step on it and you go, holy crap, there's a lot of slope there, right? Then you've got to trust it, which is hard. And I have lots of players who, Scott McCarron said it took him a year to just fully trust it. He said every time he second guessed it, he was wrong. And he finally said, screw it, I'm just going to trust it now. That does take a while. That honestly was the hardest thing for me is that I had been playing golf for, I don't know, 20 years at that point, 15 years. And it's strange to like try and you can't turn off your sense like your eyes, like you said, you can't no. turn them off. You can't turn them and, off. And there is like this internal dialogue. Like you said, there are putts that I will just kind of look at. and They either look straight and you feel a slope with your feet or vice versa. They feel straight with your feet. And then your eyes are being like, it actually looks like it's breaking to the left. Loads of them like that. And eventually, some people I've known who've used Aimpoint and gave up on it, I don't think fully bought into it that way. And eventually I did. And I had to say similar, I guess, to what Scott McCarron said is like, I'm not going to mess with my eyes anymore and just trust that I know I'm getting a decent enough read. And that's it. Because if I have to put my finger on the thing that gives Aimpoint a bad look on TV is the players who are doing both. And it looks like it takes them a lot yeah. longer to do it. And then people assume like, oh, it's because of aim point that they're having this conflict. And I guess that's just a player's personal decision. I, don't, I just Yeah, I'm not a fan at all of doing both. And I try to talk my players out of it. But the reality is at the tour level, if they want to look, they're going to look. So then the answer is, well, as long as you do it in the allotted time, do what you want. But I agree with you. If you do only an aim point read, it's much quicker than a standard walk around, look at it from all angles. And I've got split screen videos of players reading the same putt and one's doing aim point and one's not and the one who's doing a traditional read looks very normal but it can take forever you know and nobody ever complains when somebody's taking a minute and a half to read an eight foot putt and somebody takes 40 seconds to do an aim point read and twitter goes ballistic about it i think that's (laughs) the interesting thing about golf in general is when you see something different so i've had a lot of people (laughs) my experience with aim point has been, I've been made fun of a lot, to be quite honest with you. Imagine what they did to me 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've had a lot of people in my club who like are like, oh man, Sherman's doing that silly thing with his fingers. And then this is what happens. I'll start draining some 10, 15, 20 footers. And then people ask me, how do you, what's going on there? How are you doing that? So I think when we see something that looks different in golf, that is out of the normal range, as I said earlier, I assume this about aim point too, because it looked different. I'm like, this is silly. It's not simple enough. It's going to complicate people. Eventually when people see, and then I explain it to them, they're like, well, this is what I'm doing. This is the 1% slope of my finger. They're like, oh, that makes sense. I don't want to yeah. diminish what you've done in terms of the complexity of it. It looks like it took you a long time to get here, but you arrived at something that is I could explain it conceptually to someone on a green in five minutes if I had a digital yeah. level. Now, now they won't go out and be able to putt that well after five minutes, but it's going to take some time to buy into it. But the actual concept itself is incredibly simple in its current form. Yeah. It's very simple. If you execute the process correctly, it's very accurate. I think one of the best lessons I ever gave was to Sam Burns. I think we got 20 minutes inside because it was pouring rain. And we did a 20-minute inside on a putting board, and he walked out there, and 
within months was winning everything in sight. And it was the shortest lesson I've ever given, but it was just raw basics. Just do this and then do that. Cool. There's no other explanation. You don't have to get into the the dynamics of break or why are we doing it or the math. You just say, when you feel a one, hold up one finger and hit it there. And that's really how it was designed to be. I don't think I take more than 10 to 30 seconds to read most of my putts and tournaments. I try and be, I think the only thing you have to worry about is I try and be respectful of people's lines. So, you know, if I have a, a playing partner who's on a similar line than me, then I have to make sure to get done with my read or do it to the side of their line. So there are some stuff that pops up like that, but I don't think that I, now that I don't use my eyes, I'm faster than most people I play with. And I think what comes up on TV is because it's the, we're getting annoyed with slow golf on TV. There's yeah. no question about it. I'm annoyed about it. I complain about it on Twitter. And I think everyone's looking for something to like blame, whether it's yeah. Patrick Cantlay. the new guy. Patrick, <laughs> it's, now it's, right now it's Patrick Cantlay. He's taking the blame. And I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean slow players are slow players, to be honest. Even watching Chevron yesterday, the last couple holes, I mean, I was sitting there going, make a decision, make a decision, hit the shot. I mean, to me that the last couple holes, I know it was a major and all that, but I'm still, I'm thinking wow, this is taking a long time just to get out of the fairway. My opinion is that people are looking for something to blame. And if you see something that sticks out like a sore thumb or a sore finger, so to speak, you can identify it. So in my experience with Aimpoint, I'm just giving people my opinion. It's made me a faster reader of the putt because I don't have to go behind the hole and take a 360 degree view. It's made me much faster. I don't think people are slower because of Aimpoint. I think they're just slow players using Aimpoint. I don't think Aimpoint made them slow. I would agree with that. And, you know, the other thing is that there's really no other thing to criticize Aimpoint about because it works. And anybody who's ever done it, you might say it's not for me or whatever, but you can't say it doesn't work. You know, if you do it correctly, people are just like, holy crap, that it's amazing how accurate it is. So you get the people who there's obviously a few people out there who pick on Aimpoint, and that's the only thing they can say. So they'll pick one person out of 50 in the field who are using it. I had a tour player a couple of weeks ago tell me he thought about 45% of the tour was using Aimpoint, right? And so they'll pick one person who did one sl- what looked like a slow read, even though it might not have been. I think the one that got picked on the most recently, he took 20 seconds to read a putt, and they were beating him up over that. But they're ignoring it's being used out there. Men and women, 40 to 50% of all players or, or their caddies are using Aimpoint. I think Keegan Bradley took a lot of heat recently the in the last year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that's who you're talking about. Yeah, that was know, the one. I, I got a lot of heat back for defending him. Say, I've, been, I've been watching Keegan for, I don't know, 15 years now. And he's, you know, he's a jittery player. He goes in yeah. and out of his shots. He takes forever. And like, you know, he was always someone who had a longer pre-shot routine. Look at his putting stats in the last, in the last year and how many wins he's gotten in the last year since he started at Aimpoint. Yeah, you know, he was always a kind of one hundred and fifty or below putter, and now I think he was top twenty at one point. I think he's top fifty right now, but he was, but he's won what? He's top five, top ten FedEx Cup right now. He's you done know? quite well recently. Yeah, Adam, I'm dominating the conversation because I'm so pumped up. Do you oh, have any I'm questions? Listening, I'm, listening <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about you know I've just moved to Vegas, and there are a lot of courses out here where they're very optical illusiony putts so you know you you i look at it and normally i've got a pretty good eye for these things and i look at it and i'm like you know what i think it goes this way then i walk around the other side and i'm like that looks completely the opposite direction yeah. now that's what and we're trying so to at least with uh yeah yeah so that's that's one way where aim point would actually speed up play because if you could take out that double you're double guessing yourself is what i was looking for then just get a read with your feet and then you can go 
So that's certainly a way where it can it can yeah. speed up. Is there a process of learning to use your feet that you go through? Does it is it something that builds over time? Or is it something that people automatically get straight away? Most people get it straight away very well, but they don't trust themselves yet. So I've never met anybody who got bad numbers. So I'll train somebody. We'll go through the kind of one, two, three, fours, and I'll give them some tricks, which I'll give you in a second. And they'll start reading putts, and they're reading great putts with great numbers, but they're like, yeah, but I don't know if that was right. I was like, well, the ball hit the hole. It was right. It takes a while to trust that when you feel a two, it's actually a two. But what I'm, in my experience, people are spectacularly good at getting numbers. And I've taught everyone from eight-year-olds to tour players to 85-year-olds. There's a number of guys we've taught who are double amputees. They get the same numbers I do. You know, what people get wrong is you're not necessarily feeling slope in your feet, right? It's anything kind of feet to hips. For me, the hip joints are really big. If you stand on a tilted surface, you're going to feel one hip squeeze a little bit and the other's not going to squeeze because it's shorter, right? It's being compressed a little bit. And so I hear people who feel in their knees, their ankles, their shins, their quads, their hamstrings, their feet, their toes. It doesn't matter where you feel the slope. It just has to, a one has to feel different than a two. And everybody out there who can walk around without falling down can tell the difference between one and 2% slope. Everybody. In those scenarios where I am double guessing myself, what I usually end up doing is not lining it up specifically and then stand over the putt as I'm getting addressed for it. And then I look at the hole and I adjust my body until it feels right. And what I'm probably doing there is using my feet as I'm standing, as I'm addressing the ball uh, until it lines up or matches the picture in my brain. So I'm probably using my feet without realizing it in those scenarios. Yeah, everybody does. You know, the hardest reads, frankly, are the ones where the slope at your feet are not the slope that's controlling the break. So sometimes the putt will break like a two, but you'll be standing on a three or a four. And so the ball's way above your feet and you're not playing a ton of break and your brain is going, nope, 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 nope. And you end up pushing it or pulling it and missing high. Those to me are the hardest ones. But but every golfer is absorbing information through their feet constantly, whether they know it or not. That is the hard one because the break at the beginning of the putt is not nearly as influential as like the last third of the putt, correct? It's something Well, I, the I beginning of the putt the... is almost completely irrelevant, believe it or not. Yeah. It's the middle, it's the middle of the putt that controls the break, not the beginning, not the end. That's what is still sometimes the hard part. As you said, yeah. if I'm if I'm standing on a 3% slope and I read it as a 1% slope, there's this like kind of this cognitive dissonance, dissonance, yep. whatever you would call it. Yep. You're saying like, oh, it feels weird right now, but you have to trust that you did. I think the main thing it's, I, I try and remove variables. I think it's a great phrase. I have a Seymour putter. I'll give them a shout out too, because they were very influential in my putting resurgence and, and they're philosophy is removing variables, removing ball position variables, removing hand position variables. And when I tried to like rebuild my putting, my quest was like, how could I simplify everything as possible? And the way I describe it to people now is that I have a system for alignment. I trust in my Seymour putter. And I have a system now, thanks to you for reading the putts, so that I'm not hemming and hawing like that situation that Adam was describing I used to be in that situation all the time. And I've, if I tell people like, what's the main thing that I think they can get from this system potentially is that if you buy into it and believe it's correct, you can remove the second guessing and remove a variable so that when I'm standing over the ball, my last thought is speed. The yep. most important thing, in my opinion, I feel good about my alignment. I feel good about the read. And the last thing is just to focus on speed. That's it. 
Yeah. Well, we find is when as soon as people learn aim point, I mean, aim, getting a read is like getting a yardage. There's no magic to it. It's just you're getting a number. That's it. And once people realize that and accept it, which some people takes longer than others, and some people will never buy into it no matter what, but you're just getting a number. You know, every putt breaks like a number. We're just trying to figure out the right number. Once you do that, the read part is finished. Once you're lined up, it should only be about speed at that point. You should not be over the ball going, oh, crap, this looks a little higher, a little low. No, the read's done. If you do a proper read, the read's done. And you should only be thinking about speed. It should be a very clarifying process, not one that adds complexity or adds discord in your brain. You should be going, no, it plays like a one. I trust it. Boom, let's go hit it. That's essentially how I went from like a fairly crappy putter to a really good one. It was just, well, I don't think now that I've been doing it so long, as you said, like reading green shouldn't be that hard. When I was a poor putter, the last thought in my head was, is that really breaking that much to the left? Like those were my last thoughts before I step up to a putt. I'm like, is it really that break? I wasn't sure. And that's not a confident way to stroke a putt. No, that's not ideal for sure, <laughs> especially if you're playing competitive golf. Yeah, and, and I don't want to say to people like if you learn aim point, it removes that. Like I still have moments where I am in doubt. I think I wouldn't say it's for everyone. Can you give some where are the people who don't succeed with this? Because I've known some people have learned it and then kind of like tossed it away after a yeah. few months because they just don't accept putting in general. And they think, oh, I got to move on to the next thing because I'm not making enough putts and they're not being realistic with like how many putts they should be making or could be making. Yeah. The people I've had, and I've certainly had people who've learned it who have not continued to use it, sometimes they're not committed in the beginning. They just want to learn it, just kind of see what it's about, and they never actually implement it. So they'll go out and they'll be like, yeah, I kind of learn it. Maybe I'll use it here and there, but they don't, they don't commit to just using it. The, the people who do it the best, they learn and they say, okay, I'm doing this. Keegan Bradley, McCarron, Lydia Ko, they're like, I want to learn it. I want to learn it all the way through. Madeline Zagstrom, I want to learn it. Tell me everything. Let's work on this till I master it. And I'm going to do it no matter what. Then you get guys who are like, well, let me learn it. And they read a couple putts and they get some good ones and they miss one. They go, eh, I don't know if I'm very good at this. And they just quit. Poulter was a great, great example. He used aim point for six months and went, I think, top five in putting. You know, he was like 145th in putting and he went to, I think, fifth in putting six months later, had bad nine holes, apparently BMW went here and just quit. He's like, ah, it's just not my personality. I'm just not going to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> went right back up to 140 and putting <laughs> or 100. Well, or I think it was. that's, I mean, that, I think putting does that to everyone. Why is Rory McIlroy have like 50 different putters in his garage? I mean, people will yeah, like just change, change, change. Because put, yeah, putts are, it's really hard. And there's been like dry spells that I've gone through where like I'm just not putting well. And it's not because of aim point. It's because I've got an issue with my stroke, how I'm presenting the club face and my or my speed control is poor or a mixture of both. Well, what do you think based on your research? I love talking about speed control. Like, is that the number one skill to make more putts and putt more effectively? Well, it depends belief? on your level. When people start golf, I would say, yes, speed 100% because their, their speed misses are going to be bigger than their read misses. Then you come to a point, aim point is one piece of putting. If you learn aim point and you have stroke issues or speed issues, you're going to get better, but not as good as you want to be. The people I've been most successful with are already have good strokes, are already good speed players, and you plug aim point in and they're off to the races, right? People always say, well, reader speed or liner speed, what's important? Well, at the tour level, you have to make a ton of putts, right? So you've got to make 24 birdies in four days to win on tour. And how are you going to make 24? You know, you've got to make five to six birdies a day on 13 greens. How are you going to do that unless you're making a ton of mid-range putts? which means your read has to be accurate to one degree. Your line has to be accurate less than one degree. Your speed has to be accurate to two feet. you got to put all those pieces together to convert at that high of a level. 
And so there comes a point where in the beginning, speed's really important. Then you got to start mixing in some read, especially for lag putts. Then you've got to be hitting on all cylinders. By the time you're an elite level competitive golfer, you've got to be dialing in all three of those pieces to convert. Otherwise, you're just not going to convert at a high enough rate. And what about for the rest of us? Let, let, you know, this is a show for recreational golfers. So at that quote unquote average player in your experience with the clinics and everything, it depends a little on the length of the putt, right? So speed is very, very important. But what you, what most people don't realize, if let's say let's take a thirty foot putt and it breaks three feet, so that'd be about a two percent slope. So let's say it's got three feet of break. Somebody plays one foot of break and hits perfect speed. How much do you miss by on the low side? Two feet, one, three two to feet. four feet. Yeah, three oh, to four yeah. feet. So so no two to six feet, six feet. Your low side miss is at least triple the error. So if I underread by two feet. I'm going to miss the hole by four to six feet, even if they have perfect speed. And you can go test this anytime you want. Go take a read, take two feet off of it, and you're going to miss four to six feet low with perfect speed. So you can have perfect speed and miss by five feet, four feet. But now you're mixing up uh, under read with bad speed. Now you've got a big miss. And now you've got massive number of three putts. So for recreational golfers, the real sweet range for them, for you guys, is short putts and long putts. It's not mid-range putts. It's kind of six feet in and 25 feet and out because no matter what you do, you're not going to convert a ton of 15 and 20 footers, but you've got to get rid of the three putts by the time you get outside 20 feet. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Linkswear. They just released their new Lux G shoes, which is their first big release of 2024 and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonderlux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, 
an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G's shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. A thought on short putts, because there's a lot of 1% slope on like six, eight footers. And I remember I got a chance to, it was very random. I got a chance to spend like an hour with Tommy Armour III. It was actually in Las Vegas. This yeah, was I like Tommy. <laughs> yeah, so I, this was literally a month after I learned Aimpoint. You know Joe Mayo, Adam, Trackman Maestro. Remember? So anyone who was on Twitter for a long time. Formerly known Maestro. as Trackman Formerly Trackman known Maestro. as Trackman Maestro. <laughs> he was nice enough to host me at TPC Summerlin when he was there. And he happened to be working at the time with Tommy Armour III. And Tommy helped me for about an hour on the putting green. My stroke was a mess. We were talking aim point. But a lot of it was just talking about like these inside 10 footers where he's like, I don't even have to look anymore. I just know it's like just outside the hole or right there. Like once you use it, now that I've used it for years, I have so much more confidence on six to eight footers that I know from five feet, if it's 1%, it's like just inside on that. Like I know exactly the part of the cup I'm looking at or just outside of it. So again, it allows me because I've put my trust in it. I step up to these putts knowing I know I'm aiming right there, like almost every time. Yeah. It's the same putt. You've hit it enough times and you know it's going to do, you know, and, and, and good things like that to you just memorize pretty much everything outside six feet is outside the hole. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're you know outside that. six feet. You're probably hitting it outside the hole. If it's if it's 1% or more, you're outside the hole. And, and just little rules of thumb like that can really help. To highlight the importance of reading the greens, I made a, it sounds a ridiculous argument, but I made the argument that a better putting stroke might actually make you worse. Oh, absolutely. My makes theory you worse. on this, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, when I, I used to work at IMG Academies, so I used to shadow coaches there. And yeah, I saw lots of pupils just working endlessly on stroke mechanics, trying to stroke it straighter, 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 you know, doing block practice with training aids around them on straight putts. And when I went on the course with them, I would see that, well, their misses are not because of their stroke. It's because of their read. You know, they're under-reading that. And then you combine that, or I combine that with uh, Dave Peltz's information that, you know, most amateurs read, what, a third of the true break, something like yeah, that? Yeah, half or a third. Or like most that. people. Yeah, severely under-read breaks. So, you know, obviously, if you have a three-foot break putt, and you're aiming with only one foot of break, the better stroke you make towards that, the worse you're going to be as a putter. So, you know, that's why I, I saw the importance of reading the greens as, as much higher than stroke quality at first. And they obviously tie in together. The better your read is, you know, you'll start to make better strokes onto that read as well. If you're, if you have a bad read, your unconscious is going to try and pull it back up the slope or push it up the slope, whichever you're doing, whichever side it's, uh, is the high side. Yeah, so I that's that's exactly correct. I used to get a, a pushback in the old days more often where people would say, well, I'm not ready for aim point yet because my stroke's not where I want it to be. <laughs> and so we actually wrote a simulation that said, you know, if your stroke is less than one degree variance on your start line, like a tour player would be less than one, one degree versus two degrees versus three degrees. And then, and then we varied the, you know, how accurate the read was. It turned out, and the easy way to think about this is let's say you took a perfect putter, which is rolling exactly where you want it at perfect speed and you read everything wrong nothing would go in, right? 
But now you take a player who doesn't read it right, but also they have an error in their stroke or speed, and those two errors cancel out and putts go in. I mean, we've all seen people read it wrong, push it, and make a beautiful putt, right? Well, the better your stroke gets, the less likely that happens. And so you can actually increase your miss rate with a better and better start line. And then what do you say? Then your brain starts going, well, I'm making nothing, and you're going to start manipulating, and your stroke's going to unravel. It's actually going to disintegrate if you're not making anything with your, quote, perfect stroke. And it could be a waste of time as well, a waste of that practice time you spend totally hours a waste of time. practicing that perfect stroke. Yeah. So I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying that practicing your stroke mechanics is is always wasted time. But for some people, if your read is poor, it could make you worse. Well, you've, you've got to balance everything. And you know, I, I've certainly seen tour players who had start line problems, but not many. You know, more at the, at the amateur level, you'll have start line and aim problems. But if you think the answer to golf is perfecting your putting stroke, you are going to be very disappointed. What are some of like the habits or skills that you see amongst the best putters at any level? What is it that they're doing so well? The best putters I can remember ever working with, they have a different mindset. They're very focused. It's an intangible where you can give them a good read. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you give them a good read and they just kind of subconsciously fill in the gaps and they make a ton of putts. Whereas have other people that are always burning edges and they just can't ever stop not burning the edge. And they just tend to be relaxed but highly focused and they and they never get – they're never overthinking their putting stroke. They're not like, oh my God, my rise angle is one degree too high or my starting left arm. They're not neurotic about their putting stroke. They're just relaxed and they trust it and they, and they go through their process and hit their putt and move on. And I've got a lot of players that are what I call smart golfers and they overthink so hard. It's very hard to get them to just stop thinking so much. You know, I had a tour player once say, what if I think it's a 1% but it's really a 0.8%? I'm like, well, the ball still goes in the hole. <laughs> it's I mean, close it's enough. Yeah. Too. Like, what if I'm wrong? And, you know, that whole problem. What if I'm wrong? Well, still a lot better than what you're doing now. <laughs> and you don't have to be perfect to make it go in. That's refreshing to hear. I think that's a, a great way to think about things. It's just, I, I view it as like, if it gets you close enough or in the realm, then you've got a chance of it going in, or at least you're not going to leave yourself a massive putt coming back. It's just going to give you a better chance. Most people do not understand what good putting is. So if you ask an amateur, how many putts does a tour player make from 20 feet? They'll say 68 to 80%. They'll throw these insane numbers up there. And I'm like, no, it's like 14%. And they're like, what? I mean, they overestimate how many putts tour players make by a factor of five, probably, if not higher. And just having a realistic expectation, if the best in the world are making one out of five from 15 feet, you're probably going to make one out of 10 at best. That's it. And that's on the best greens in the world as well. Right. They've got best greens. They play golf six days a week and they're making one out of five from 15 feet. Best in the world. So don't expect to make more than that. (laughs) That's why I always show that the best chart has always been one of the best is from Mark Brody's book where he has the tour player, the scratch golfer and the 90 shooter. And you see it. It's really inside of 10 feet where most people have the chance of actually If you want to get better at putting, as you said, it's, you got to increase your make rate inside of 10 feet and then become a better lag putter on those longer putts. And like those two things are going to knock strokes off your score, but it's hard for anyone to expect to start Jordan speething it and start draining a bunch of 20 footers. Like it's just really hard to do. And realistically, he only did that for one year where he made an exactly, insane number yeah. of it. And the, the <laughs> next year he reverted back to the mean and it, it went away, you know, and he did it once, but nobody else ever, probably ever going to do that. <laughs> You had a really cool image. I actually put it in my book. I think it was a 
it was you collaborated with Eric Barzinski from Lowest Score Wins. It was a capture rate size of the yeah. hole with speed. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Because often a lot of golfers, a lot of golfers play match play. They're playing for a Nassau. And you get into these situations where you're like, oh, I got a 12-footer. I got to make this. And they just smack the hell out Smoke of the putt. Or you're playing in a scramble with buddies and you're like, oh, I got to make this 20-footer. And then they hit it 10 feet by. Can you talk about your analysis, what you did? It's a very cool image of just what happens to the whole change of size based on how much speed the ball is coming at it. So can you talk a, a little bit about that? Yeah. So so what, what comes up a lot is just kind of speed control strategy. And you know, if you're a competitive golfer, you... 90% of your putts inside 20 feet, you want to pass the hole just so you're not leaving them short. Because again, if you're inside 20 feet, you've got a real, a good birdie chance. You got to get it to the hole, past the hole, but you don't want to hit it three feet, four feet, five feet past the hole. Two reasons. Number one, you've introduced a three putt. And we obviously don't want to be three putting. But the other reason is for the ball to fall in the hole, half of the ball, so basically the equator of the ball has to drop below the surface of the hole, right? And if you do the math on that, it takes a certain amount of time for the ball to actually drop in. Well, if you go over the edge of the hole, it's not as wide as the center of the hole. So the, if you roll a ball dead over the center of the hole, it's four and a quarter inches wide. If you go halfway to the right half of the cup, it's going to be two inches wide. If you go another inch over, whatever, it's going to be one inch wide. ball doesn't have time to fall in. So what happens is as your ball speed increases, you, re, you start removing the sides of the cup as a way for, that the ball will fall in. So the math is pretty straightforward. You know, I think it... At one foot by, you've only lost like a half an inch off the width of the hole. But by five feet by, the hole drops to a half an inch or a quarter of an inch in width, which means unless you're hitting absolute dead center, it, it's lipping out. And, and I know just even with practicing with, with tour players, if they're hitting balls two feet past the hole, they start getting a lot of lip outs at two feet by. At three, four feet by, you're lipping out a ton of putts. I play in a lot of tournaments with younger players, with, with college-age kids. And I don't know if it's just a young, I'll refer to them as young because I'm almost twice their age now, but I see a lot of younger players who are so aggressive on five, six, seven footers oh. and they're just trying to like take the break out of it. And you just see these like violent lip outs. And I've only seen one golfer who is really good at hammering short putts and his name was Tiger Woods. Because he was super accurate. That's why. <laughs> yeah, his face control was just probably the best ever. I don't think he missed inside of five feet for how many years. It was insane. Yeah. And in, interestingly, in Tiger, some of his comebacks, I've seen him miss a lot more of those where he's power lipping him out because he's just not as good as he used to be, but he's still hammering them sometimes. Yeah. I see that a lot with a lot of players on like seven, eight footers. They're not even giving the ball a chance to go in. Yeah, so a lot of that's training. And so I had, I'll give an example. I had two really good HAGA players did a joint lesson with me. And I had them do this drill where they're basically hitting four, five, six footers back and forth to see who wins. Well, they were hammering these five footers five feet past the hole. And I said, why are you, what are y'all doing? You take a five footer and you miss it and trade off for another five footer? Like you've introduced a three putt now from five feet. And they said, oh, it's simple. We get penalized by our coach or our parents or whoever for leaving them short, but we don't get penalized for hitting it too long. <laughs> I'm like, well, you're doing exactly what you were told to do then. I go, but the problem is that doesn't make sense, right? Ideally, you want to be past the hole, but not more than two, two and a half feet past the hole maximum. So if you look at, for instance, Dustin Johnson, when he won the Masters in 2020, from up to 20 feet for the entire week, he didn't leave one putt short, not a single one, but he didn't hit anything, more, I think, more than three feet past the hole either. 
So part of speed training for to get better and better is you want to hit it into a window behind the hole that's between six inches and let's say two and a half feet. So you got about a two foot window behind the hole that you really want to train into. And that's going to make your, your make rate go up. It's going to make your lip outs go down. It's going to make your three putts go down. You've got to have good speed control to do that. Like you've got to work that. And I've done that with tour players who are like, damn, this is hard. I was like, I know, but this is what you need to do if you want to win. To me, that's like the glue that holds everything together. You could learn aim point and still miss a ton of putts if your speed control sucks because you're going to power lip out a bunch or you're just going to be way short or way long of it. So any tip, we always love to talk about practice advice on this show. Again, for the normal golfer, you know, everyone can practice putting at home on a mat and sometimes we have access to, to putting greens at a facility. What are some of your tried and true practice methods that you think, you know, a golfer of any level should pursue? At any level, I love starting with speed. Like a lot of people, I always say if you're going to do anything at all, just do speed drills. When you start, if you got five minutes to go play, go do speed drills. Don't worry about hitting to a hole. So I love speed drills. Again, for mid-range golfers, it's short putts and long putts. So short putts, you've really got to understand how that break changes. Aim point inside 10 feet is, even inside six feet is bulletproof. So just understanding how much the ball breaks on these shorter putts, but then longer butts, it's really maxing out your break. So you're trying to hit everything kind of dead weight on a lag putt. You've got to really learn how to play as much break as you can even possibly imagine breaking because your low misses, again, the miss is tripled or quadrupled depending on green speed. And the high miss, you end up missing by half. So if you overread by a foot on a lag putt, it'll miss six inches on the high side. If you underread by a foot, it'll miss three feet on the low side, right? So the strategy on lag putts is the biggest possible amount of break. And, and when you first learn any point on lag putts, People are shocked by how much a lag putt actually breaks. You know, three, four, five feet all day long, no problem. I like players to get used to those. Depending on how competitive you are, you've got to fill in the gaps in the mid-range putts. 10 to 20. You've got to make a ton of 10 to 20-foot putts to win. I think winners on tour usually make 40 to 50% of those for the week. Think about that. That's well, fortunately, the, pe- fortunately so, the people listening to this show don't have to worry about that much yeah, pressure. Yeah, you don't have to worry about it. So, so <laughs> figure out your short ones. But I don't would say – straight and firm. <laughs> don't do that. I would say as a byproduct of – I've put a lot of work into my putting for a few years and getting the read, the alignment, and my stroke. I don't worry about my stroke from a mechanical perspective, but I probably made it better. But I would say the byproduct of all of that is that I have – there are rounds where I do make – over a hundred feet of putts where I'll just, my speed's really good. Yeah. You know, and just, it, it just, the, the ball's finding the hole on some days. And that's kind of fun to see for once. Cause for a while I never yeah. saw the ball go in the hole yeah. <laughs> and more importantly, under some pressure moments. So it's been fun. Mark, I got a couple of questions for yeah. you. One of them, and I don't know how much you want to give away of this, but I believe there is a way of adjusting aim point for certain things. So there are some Twitter questions like what happens with double breaks? Green speeds obviously affect the amount the, sure. the ball breaks uphill and downhill. So yeah, so everything, give a, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so everything related to speed with aim point, you manage with your, how much arm bend you have. And what a lot of people don't know is, you know, if you take the same slope at a stimp eight versus a stimp 12, the stimp 12 breaks double the stimp eight. So if you go from your club to a PJ tour event for the same putt you're used to looking at, let's say a 10 footer on a two should break six inches. At normally it's going to break double. That's going to break, six, you know, 12 inches. And so they're used to seeing a certain amount of break based on their normal green speeds. And suddenly they go faster and everything breaks a ton more. 
And the nice thing about aim point is you don't need to know that. You just need to know it's a two and it's running faster, so you so you bend your arm more. So everything green speed is related to how much arm bend you have. So roughly a stimp eight is a straight arm and stimp 10 is a little bit of bend and stimp 12 is a little bit more bend. And there's a process for going through and kind of dialing that in, but it's, it's simple. Having said that, uphill, downhill is similar. So if you get a really fast downhill putt, obviously you're going to break more. The effective stimp will be faster. So you've got to bend your arm a little bit more to make room for the downhill speed. Uphill is not as important, but you know, your uphills, you can kind of push your arm out a little bit and squeeze a little bit of the break out of it. That's the the feel side of aim point that the really good players are really good at without overthinking it. They just know they're going to hit a downhill slider and they want to be a little defensive. And so they soften up their arm bend and hit it a little on the higher side and a little on the softer side. Here's another question uh, I'll interject with a problem I have. I'm a Northeast golfer, so I'm used to bent POA type greens. Spoiled. Spoiled because aim point works fabulously well on that because I don't have yeah. to worry about other variables. Yeah. When I go down to Florida, I played in Georgia recently, North Carolina, and you put me on Bermuda. I don't putt on Bermuda a lot. And all of a sudden, I talked about removing variables. I get another variable and then I just don't make as many putts because now I'm like, oh, I got to worry about grain too. Like, how the hell do you deal with grain? Grain's easy. <laughs> if you understand grain, it's easy. And people, people, I've in the past, people say, well, Aimpoint doesn't work on grain. And I said, well, Aimpoint was developed in Florida on grain. So I, trust me, Aimpoint works on grain. So there's two things that'll change your number wind or grain, right? So wind can change your number. And grain, in some situations, changes your number. And so the key is knowing which those situations are. And the, and what it does is it actually reduces your number. So a lot of times you'll have grain where you'll feel a one and it won't break because grain's going the wrong direction. Or you'll feel a half to the left and it'll break a half to the right. And that's what really freaks people about about grain is when you see left break, you feel left break, and the ball breaks. And it, yeah, yes. <laughs> and, it, and it will do that. In the right situation, it will do that. There's a great one in my club on the second hole where – you get 10, 15 foot putt and everything's going left slope wise and you hit the putt and it doesn't move a millimeter because you got cross grain going the other, other direction. So in some situations with cross grain, you reduce your number between a whole number and a half a number, depending on how fast the greens are. And once you understand that, you do your, your normal read and then, then you just say, do I need to reduce this number for grain or not grain? And that is very, very manageable if you understand that. But I've never... I've never taught a tour player in my life who understood that that specifically. They would say, well, the grain makes the ball break more. Eh, kind of yes, kind of no, because usually you're hitting a putt where the grain is growing downhill. That's the vast majority of your putts, and so that's already factored into your effective stimp. You know, down grain runs a lot faster than up grain does, so your arm bend differential between up and downhill putts will be bigger than they would be on bent grass. You know, that's kind of the bigger thing is the downhills are running a lot faster, it's very manageable if you understand it. I just haven't played enough. I'll only play like three or four rounds a year on Bermuda. So I just yeah. haven't had enough time to like adjust the feel of it or, or even I kind of know how to read grain. Some people have taught me, but I just haven't done it enough where I really like trust what I'm doing. So it always throws you. me yeah. for a loop when I do it. Yeah. So the other question I had, this might lead into a, a couple of things, but how do you adjust for the magnetic or gravitational pull of mountains and water? And by the way, I'm joking. <laughs> I am joking. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's talk about this in the mountain or the airport downtown, the <laughs> pulling to the putt or the stream <laughs> on the other side of the golf course. Everything breaks away from the mountain. The ocean yeah. effect. 
So, yeah, I mean, we could talk about that. So lots of people do believe, lots of amateurs believe everything breaks away from the mountain or breaks towards the water. And it can be true in certain certain circumstances, but ultimately the thing that's going to cause the break is the, the break or the slope on the green. What other myths do, do you see amateurs having that aim point dispels or anything? Well, those are big ones. I mean, that's a big one when people think the overall property, the one the one about Augusta that always kills me as well, Rage Creek is the lowest spot on the property. Therefore, everything breaks there. And, and if you've ever played Augusta or been around Augusta, everything breaks exactly like the slope under the ball tells it to break. So Augusta is actually one of the easiest places to re-greens because everything, everything's a little stronger than normal slope-wise. Everything breaks exactly like it's supposed to break. There's no, well, it should have broke left, but it didn't break as much as Race Creek is the other direction. It just doesn't happen. It's it's a, And that always pisses people off when I say that, and I get a lot of hate mail when I say that. But I've worked out there for 15 years doing putting and simulation, and everything does exactly what it's supposed to do. <laughs> and so, and a lot of the players who have done very well at Augusta use aim points, and they understand that. So it's no different anywhere else. Mountains and valleys and everything breaks against away from the big rock up there. That to me is you just don't know what's going on. I mean, if you have to rely on that, you just don't understand what the green's doing because the ball only knows its point of contact with the ground. Is it balanced or not balanced? That's all it knows. It doesn't know where anything is. There's no inherent gravitational difference. Well, there is between mountains and lakes, but I mean water, but technically it would go towards the mountain, not away from the mountain. The ball has no senses other than it's sitting on the ground and it's rolling. Is it in balance or not? It's not in balance. It's going to turn until it gets in balance. That's all break is. Ball's tilted and, and as you roll, it's going to keep turning until either it stops or it's rolling straight down the hill. So for everyone listening, those mountains or the water has no effect on the golf ball. It's the slope under, under the ball. Yeah, as it's it, it, that creates it has great curve. optical illusions. Like getting the mountains and the optical illusions are spectacular. Yeah, But yeah, yeah. If you actually took a level out and put a level on the green and you're like, oh, wow, I, I thought it went right. And the level is actually saying it's going left. And then you'll start understanding how the optical illusions work and what creates the optical illusions. And then it'll make a lot more sense. Yeah, in terms of practice methods, I've seen to the tour events I've been to, I still see tour players with their digital level out verifying what the slopes are. And I would tell anyone, like, whether you want to learn aim point or not, get yourself a digital level and just start randomly going around different greens, your practice screen, and seeing what the slopes are and what your eyes are telling you, and then roll the ball. Like, the feedback you get is incredible because I, I think what Adam was mentioning before, like, our eyes trick us a lot. When we look more and more, if you, I remember back to when I used to read greens with my eyes more, you're going 360 degrees around, you're looking from all different angles and your mind is just presenting you with things that you're like, oh, that looks a little different from that angle than this angle. Maybe there is more slope than I said. And the answer is the slope is the slope, but your yeah. eyes could trick you a lot. I think that's one of the more unnerving and strange things about learning aim point is giving up that. Mm. sense and i think that's probably why a lot Hard of people do. don't stick with it yeah or say oh it's not for me and i get that because it, it, it's hard to turn that off if you've been doing it your whole very life. hard i still haven't turned it off 100 percent. but you know but what i've learned is if i feel a three it's going to break like a three it doesn't matter if i see it or not it's going to break like a three. Oh, here's another question for you <laughs> can you talk about plumb bobbing <laughs> yeah i'm happy to i actually saw that so yeah occasionally you'll hear people on tv say oh aim points a a version of plumb bobbing, which just couldn't be farther from the truth. Plumb bobbing, if you do it correctly, and there's debates about how to do it correctly, it'll, it can tell you which way the ball breaks. So it might say it goes left or it goes right, but it won't tell you where to aim. 
And that's where plumb bobbing fails. Is for instance, if you plumb bob a twenty footer on a two, which should break two, to, you know, two plus feet, plumb bob is going to say play four to six inches out. Yeah, it's going to say it's going left to right, but it's not going to tell you anywhere near where to actually aim. It's not going to adjust for green speed. It's not going to adjust for uphill downhill. And so the plumb bob is just a it's tilted this way or it's tilted that way. It can be wrong. It doesn't work on double breaks. I've seen situations where it gave the wrong side of the hole. And there are players out there who use it, but I think it's really more of a, well, it's going right and I'm still going to pick my own break. I, I did ask a player once, uh, a guy who's on Champions Tour now, was on PJ Tour for a long time, and he plumb bobs. And I said, what are you looking for when you plumb bob? He goes, nothing. It's just how I start my process. I go, so you're not using it for a read? He goes, no. <laughs> it makes him well, comfortable. Who would have thought that? <laughs> that was literally his answer. He goes, that's just how I start my green ring process. You know, I plumb bob and then I go read it. What about like the balance of the putter? Isn't that also? Yeah, you have to, first of all, no putter hangs plumb. In other words, the idea is you get a vertical reference, which is the shaft. But because putters putters have offset, they don't hang vertical. They hang through the center of mass, not through the shaft. So if you hang the putter normally with anything with any kind of offset, even maybe without an offset, the shaft is going to be a little bit angled one way or the other. So think about if you plumb bob with like a two ball putter, that shaft is a couple degrees off to the side. And the center, center of mass goes through the center of mass of the putter. That's what's vertical. And so you have to learn how to twist it to find vertical, first of all, which most people don't do. And then you've got to still say, well, you know, I'm at 20 feet and it says aim two inches left, but that really means two and a half feet left. You're still back to guessing what the aim is. Well, something I, I did, Preston used to have the platform that you could tilt. Yeah. And so what I did was set it up on a flat platform, completely flat. And then I used a string with a weight on the end of it to yeah. create a pure plumb bob. Pure plumb, And yeah. then I lined that up with the ball and the hole so it registered straight. Yeah. And then I tilted the platform for <laughs> as much as it would go to the right. And it still, it still said the same same line. I tilted it to the to the left. It still said the same line. So yep. what I think I, I remember reading in Peltz's book is that lots of people who are doing plumb bob are also doing unconscious things to influence that. Like exactly you know, if it's right do. to left, they're standing off to the left side yep. to do it. So it's all, almost like they already know which way it's breaking. They're just doing weird things and think that the plumb bob's actually doing something, whereas it's actually doing very little to nothing. Yeah, that's correct. If you hold a true plumb in line with the ball in the hole, it'll always just show you aim at the hole. And so, yeah. I, and I've seen people plumb bob it, say, well, it breaks three feet. I'm like, well, if you plumb bob this correctly, there's no <laughs> way it says three feet. So they're subconsciously twisting their body up the slope to show them more break, and they don't even realize they're doing it. Another question we got, and this is one of my questions when I first learned it, because we're relying on our fingers and arm length, <laughs> naturally humans have all different arm lengths and width of fingers. I've met people who have fingers who could be substantially wider than mine and arms longer than mine. Is that something you take into account? Because technically, if you had someone with really thick fingers and a long arm, their 1% slope aim point might be different from someone with a short arm and, and thin fingers. Believe it or not, they'd be almost identical. So here's why. Is it? This kind of freaked me out in the beginning also because I started using this with seven and eight-year-olds and they get the same read I do. So the, the reality of the human body is the ratio of the length of your arm to the width of your finger across almost everybody is about two degrees. It's roughly the same. So kids have shorter arms and smaller fingers. They still see the same thing that I see with medium length arms and medium fingers. And there's guys who have long arms and big fingers. They still see the same amount within like 
a couple tenths of a degree. So holding one finger out straight in front of your eyes creates a two degree launch angle. Right for almost everybody in the world, it's within a couple points of that. So how do we how do we get it down perfectly accurate? That's the whole calibration, just a little bit more, a little bit less arm bend. You can also go a little higher on your fingers, a little lower on your fingers because your fingers get wider as you go down. So you can you can smooth out that last one or two tenths of a degree of accuracy just with arm bend. I think I only had one person ever who was like an ex boxer, and his hands or his fingers were just gigantic absolutely gigantic and swollen and we struggled with him a little bit but in 10 years that's the only person i can ever think of that didn't end up getting almost identical read with me and that's also part of the benefit of having your digital slope with you and just verifying what one two and three percent feels like and putting your fingers up i mean that that is really what i to be honest with you i haven't really done it much since my initial clinic i did i haven't had to i just kind of trust the numbers now but yeah i think some people verify a lot to make themselves feel better <laughs> yeah yeah and you know at some point I, I try to wean them off that if they're doing it too much because the reality is the ball tells you the number if you think it's a three and it breaks like a three it's a three if it breaks less it's not a three and so the the level is one way to do it just rolling the balls another way to do it and that's how i tend to do it is you know i know what a one looks like breaking and so if i read something different than a one and it breaks like a one then the answer was one so another question we got, I've gotten this question a lot over the years. People ask me, well, what should I do to learn Aimpoint? So I said, okay, go to a clinic. You have a website and you have all these certified instructors all over the world. And you can, I think the best way is the clinic. And some people can't make it or it's more expensive. You still have the DVD. The big question we got on Twitter is, uh, are you going to transition to digital? I've had a digital version out there for eight years now. It's right next to it. If you go to my website, there's a streaming okay, so version. So it is there. there. The I, I didn't double version. check. Okay. All right. Because I think still people like search for it and the DVD comes up and they're like, oh God, I don't even well, know. No, on my website, they're both right next to each other. And the majority okay. of people buy, I you know, I got a lot of flack when I, when I had my Twitter beef with Paige because people were like, oh, DVD, you still sell a DVD, you boomer or whatever. But what people don't realize <laughs> Is the margin on DVDs is a lot higher than it is on streaming video. So jokes on them at the end of the day. And you'd be surprised how many people actually buy hard DVDs, but you don't have to. You can buy, you get the streaming digital version of the of the video. Seeing an instructor is definitely the best way. The video is is fundamental. So it's going to take you through raw fundamentals, kind of get you up and running. If you see an instructor, it tends to be a much longer, it tends to be two hours. You're going to get more into detail cover some of the different situations, getting some in the, more into calibration. And so I would just suggest learn it correctly. I've taught a lot of people in my life who learned Aimpoint and they came to me and started reading putts or explaining putts to me. And I was like, nope, 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 that's not right. No. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, that's everything you're telling me is actually wrong. And they still put it better, which is the funny thing. But if you, if you learn it correctly and you get your process correct, it's going to save you a load of frustration and and i still see guys on tour misreading putts because they're not their process is a little bit off and the problem is they don't know why you know they say well i thought it was a two it didn't break like a two and i'm watching going well i know i can tell you were misreading it five minutes ago but they don't understand why and then that can degrade your confidence in the system or your confidence in your ability to feel slope just because their process was wrong yeah, I think I haven't done the digital version. I just did my in-person session, which was about two hours. And I think my guess is if I hadn't, if I was looking at it on my computer versus in person, I wouldn't have bought in more and I probably Possible. wouldn't have stuck with it as much. I mean, I don't know for sure. I will just say this again to people like, I'm not doing an infomercial for Mark. There's no money being exchanged no. behind the doors here. I would say the two hours I spent with John Hobbins was the best investment of my time in terms of like 
strokes gained on my golf game than I've ever done in anything else. I can't point to a singular amount of time that I spent. And I've gotten plenty of swing lessons growing up that it had such a profound impact on my scoring. I took the top, the six months to a year to really buy into this thing and it was uncomfortable and I stuck with it. But I can see a lot of why a lot of golfers would say like, oh, I learned it. And two months later, I'm not making a ton of pots. I'm done with this thing. So like anything else in the instructional coaching world, like there has to be buy-in yeah. from the student as well and be prepared to do some extra work beyond that because it just doesn't solve you overnight. Yeah, it doesn't solve overnight. You should see your reads should be a lot better overnight and your make percentages get better on short putts, mid-range. They'll be closer, but you might not make a ton more. And then lag putts, same thing. You should be a lot closer on lag putts, but you know, best in the world are making three to 5% of those to begin with anyway. So for amateurs, it's really kind of inside 10 feet where you're going to get the most bang for the buck. And that's assuming you can hit the ball anywhere remotely near where you want to hit the ball. I'd say on the longer putts, it also helps with your speed control because, you know, I see all the time when players have a 30 foot putt, they, as a tendency, underread the break. And then unconsciously, when we underread the break, we tend to whack it harder to try yeah. and keep it online. And so when you have a better read, there's a, there's a greater chance of your speed being good as well. Yeah, we definitely see that. You know, when you see how much break a lag putt actually has, your brain will go, oh, I don't have to smoke this thing to get it up there. I need to give it time to break that much. And they tend to hit better speed putts. Here's another, hopefully it's not controversial. Do you think the USGA and the RNA will ever ban Aimpoint? The charts used to be allowed for use and they banned those last year. You know, you can't take anything on the greens that tell you how much a ball breaks. It doesn't bother me. They ban that. I don't know. I mean, I guess my worry right now is there are so many people winning using Aimpoint. You know, the, just this weekend, Chevron winner used Aimpoint, Lillian Vu, and then Corn Ferry, Scott Kaczewski used Aimpoint. He won usually, you know, every other week, roughly a PJ Tour player or European Tour player is using Aimpoint to win. I would like to think that as long as people are doing it, everything in there a lot of time, you just leave them alone because they're not measuring anything. You can't stop somebody from using their feet to feel the slope. I mean, people for decades have walked up and stood over their line and looked down and felt kind of toe to heel what's going on. And that was one of your questions also. People say, I could feel a better parallel to the line. Well, loads of people do that. Bones did that forever. He'd get up there and stand over it and feel it. And you can't ban that. As far as using the fingers go, I don't know. I mean, I certainly hope they don't. But the reality is when I hold up however many fingers I hold up now, I'm never surprised by where it shows me. I mean, you learn, if you train with it, you know where a two is going to be and where a one's going to be. So it's going to, you're going to learn a lot just from training with it. Yeah. I think it would throw me for a loop on the longer putts. If it was inside 10 feet, I would know where to aim naturally. But if someone told me I couldn't put my fingers up on a 30, 40 footer, that might throw me for a loop at this point. Yeah. You get used to it. You could almost just project it and imagine where it would be. Well, I think there's a lot of arguments I see on Twitter or elsewhere where the people assume it's not natural to the game or something. And, you know, now that I've used it for five or six years, it, you've just trained people how to use a different sense more effectively. Even yeah. if people don't use aim point, I would tell them that they should use their feet anyway on putts where they're confused about which way it's breaking and yeah. how much. And whenever I tell someone to do that, they're like, oh, wow, that's really helpful. So if someone you yeah. know listens to this episode and doesn't do aim point, I would say that that green reading exercise is going to be more accurate and beneficial than your eyes because you're engaging a sense that a lot of golfers don't use. You're right. I mean, who says you must be forced to use your eyes only to read greens? 
when you're walking on the green anyway, you're walking around your putt up and down your line anyway, even if you're not using aim point, you can't, I don't think you can ban that. You'd have to ban plumb bobbing. I was going to say. Plumbing has been out there a long time. I, you know, and it frankly, has. I'm not quite sure why plumb bobbing's allowed because you're measuring with your, with your shaft. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't imagine how it would even work. But I guess my guess is that the farthest you would go is those. I never used those green reading books that had percentage slope on it. I just never thought well, that was most appropriate people don't know for how me. to use them to begin with. I looked at them a few times. I'm like, this ain't for me. <laughs> I, I can't believe they ever allowed them to begin with, frankly. I was shocked that they allowed them. I mean, it's an incredible amount of information if you were, you know, a tournament player for my, like, you know, it's yeah. a lot of information on there. I'm more concerned about the recreational player. And for them, to me, I was like, I would, people ask me that. I was like, I'll never tell you to take a green reading book out there. No. You'll just confuse the hell out Recreation, of yourself. No, I mean, I play recreational golf and I would never take a green book out there with me. But then again, I can do aim point in like two seconds, so. And I play, and all the all the golf I played with, you know, strangers or people I didn't know or in charity tournaments. I don't know if I've ever been asked what I was doing when I was doing an aim point read. I walk up and I'm done before they mark their ball. <laughs> Honest to God, I've played with a lot of strangers in the past, and I've never once had somebody say, "What are you doing exactly?" I don't even think they notice I'm doing it. it happens so quick. I get asked when I have rounds where I'm putting really well. Ah. So if I make a few, like I was down in Florida over the winter, I was playing a match with a really good player who was self-admittedly a horrible putter. I made a few 20 footers early in the round. He's like, what are you doing over there? <laughs> because he, he was open to suggestions, but I've gotten that a lot where people are like, yeah. what's going on over here? And then some people I think have seen it on TV at this point and they announce it. I mean, does it really annoy you what I'm not going to call out announcers by name, but I'm not saying all the announcers on TV are bad. I think there's some really good ones and there's some people who don't do their research and they mm -hmm. refer to aim point or other things in golf like it is the enemy or something like that. I mean, does that bother you when you get these announcers on TV who don't fully represent what you're saying? Yes. What bothers me, and this has bothered me for 15 years is when they're commenting on Aimpoint and they don't know what Aimpoint is. They've never taken a lesson. They've never asked. You know, I, I offered for years and years to sit with announcers and give them a 20-minute demonstration of Aimpoint. And the only ones that ever took me up on that was Faldo and Nobolo. That's what I was going to say. Frank Nobolo is one who recently, I was watching a broadcast. I think him and Trevor Immelman were talking about it. And I'd love to get Frank on the show too at some point because I think he does a really good job of blending like the classic and then the modern advice of the golf world. And he just gave a very reasonable explanation of what Aimpoint was and why golfers are using it. And he didn't promote it or, or chastise it one way or another. He just kind of presented the information I thought was very fair. Yeah. And, and fair is just know what you're talking about and say, take it or leave it. But here's, here's what it is and here's why people use it versus, oh, it's a modern day plumb bob. That one drives me crazy. And I've heard that a well, lot. Well, it's of interesting times. because your technology was powering the visuals that the broadcasts yes. have been using. <laughs> yeah, for six years we powered them. Yes. Yeah, it's been an endless source of frustration. And there's even some kind of old time, very well known tour coaches out there who just, they're swing guys and they don't care about putting and they just don't want to know. They just shut down the whole idea and they don't, they won't even spend 20 minutes just to watch and see what's going on. And to me, that's fundamentally somebody who's set in their ways and isn't open to learning. But the good thing is a lot of players, a lot of caddies, caddies used to give me a lot of grief back in the day. And now loads of caddies come and take aim point lessons from me. 
Yeah, I've played at some properties with caddies. When they saw me doing it, they were kind of like, oh, yeah, I learned that too. Uh, It's been helpful for them. Well, great. I I didn't want to, we're not very controversial on this show, but I, I couldn't help but bring up these things because I try and gravitate toward things in golf that make sense and that are mm-hmm. tangible and provide actual help to people that's sometimes hard to find in the industry. So it's it's bothered me <laughs> a bit how Aimpoint has been portrayed. Some people on Twitter wrote back, oh, why are you destroying golf? Something like that. It's just, I find it very... To me, that's always somebody who's never learned it. Every time I've been bashed by somebody, they have never taken a lesson. They've never asked. They couldn't explain it to you. And people, and I'm like, okay, well, explain to me what it is first, and then I'll have a any conversation you want. But first, you have to be explained to me what it is. They can't. And in fairness, I was a little bit like that too before I learned it. I was, you know, assuming that it wasn't going to help players and it was too complicated. So I'm glad you just explained the basics of it to everyone. It, it, it's honestly just engaging the sense of your feet and assigning a slope to it and putting your fingers up. That is most of it. Like there's, there are some more advanced concepts with double breaks and stuff like that. But I think it's more of a exercise and trust and like changing something that is normal to you in golf. As I said, with the not engaging your eyes as much. So thanks for coming on, Adam. Did you have any closing questions for Mark? I think we answered everything. Yeah, or asked everything. I would just tell people whether you take the clinic or not, start using your feet in general. Yeah, especially <laughs> on the short ones. Especially the ones you don't know which way it's going to break. And what's the best way for people to find clinics? Is it through your website? Yeah. If you go to aimpointgolf.com, there's a number of clinics that are publicly posted there. And if not, find a local, somebody local instructor and try to learn from somebody who knows it. There's really nothing good on YouTube. If you go look on YouTube, you're going to get a bunch of really bad explanations with Aimpoint. And some are really Great. bad. Some aren't even close to being right. So it's going to screw you up. Well, that would be the ideal way to do it is actually see somebody who knows what they're talking about and uh, just shortcut that and, and learn it right the first time. How many instructors have you gone have gone through your certification process at this point? Worldwide, it's about 300. About 200 in the US and Canada. Okay, cool. Yeah, I would uh, encourage people to learn more Anywhere else to find you or is that the main place to go? That's the main place. You can try to hit me up on Instagram, Aimpoint Golf on Instagram. I tend not to be on Twitter too much because I got beat up too often and I just kind of got cold on it. (laughs) Yeah, Twitter can be a... I've had a good experience on there. I try and stay positive, but the second I get negative, oh, it comes back at me times on so fast, Yeah, it? it is very, it's interesting how it works on there, but I, there is a really good golf community on there yeah. that does want to learn. A lot of people who have learned aim points. So thanks for clarifying everything. I would just say in terms of like what you see on TV with people, I think golf on TV is a kind of a, you're not getting full information. You're being shown certain things for a longer period of time. Yeah. I'll just say it once again, as someone who's used Aimpoint for a long time, like I read my putts in 20 seconds. I don't know why someone on TV takes three minutes. There's plenty of guys and gals taking three minutes using their eyes too. Slow play is slow pay. There's people taking 25 seconds who are getting beat up over it. Yeah. You know, I've got a very simple example. This is the easiest thing in the world to solve. All you have to do is get your timer on your phone and go sit at a tour event and time people. And I've done this in the past, time people doing regular reads, time people doing aim point reads. And especially you get those kind of eight, nine, 10, 12 footers for money. And you would be shocked how long people take doing a quote, standard, normal looking read by the time they walk all over the place. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, listen, if I was in your shoes, I'd be frustrated too. You put something out useful into the world. And I think, you know, some people aren't giving it a chance. And if they want to, that's fine. If not, maybe you learn something here. Mark, thanks again for your time. Adam, where can everyone find you? 
You can find me on adamyounggolf.com or you can get my book on Amazon. It's called The Practice Manual, The Ultimate Guide for Golfers. Lots of stuff in there about how to practice the most important things to learn. I know, John, where can people find you? You can find me at practical-golf.com and check out my book, The Four Foundations of Golf, also on Amazon. I do mention Aimpoint in it, but that's about it. I say go learn about it because I got nothing to say in there. (laughs) So uh, thanks again for everyone listening, and we'll see you next time with a new episode. Thanks.